Well, good morning, y'all. We uh, are in the middle of a series entitled Walking the Narrow Dirt Path as we've been discussing the reality of what it means to actually follow Jesus because the passage of Scripture that is the basis for this series seems to be implying that the path to following Jesus is a much more difficult path than we seem to realize. And so I think it's important that if we are going to do this Christianity thing, if we are actually going to commit our lives to following Jesus, we need to go in this eyes wide open so, and understand the expectations so we don't get to the end of our lives and we're all surprised because we're like, oh, I didn't know that that's what was expected of me. And one of the biggest obstacles, uh, I believe, that kind of gets in the way of us truly following Jesus and having the kind of faith that God wants us to have is uh, fear. Like, fear prevents us from living like this optimal life in God. And fear is what holds us back from experiencing what it means to have an authentic faith. And there's a lot of different possibilities about this, right? I mean, you might have a fear of letting go of something in this world that you love and you know it's against God, but you love that thing and you don't want to let go of that thing. And so you're torn between the world of this world and the world of God. And you have a fear of letting that go. Or you could have a fear that if you're perceived to be too radical in your faith and live counterculturally as the Bible suggests that we do, that you're afraid that you're going to be perceived as like a Jesus freak or some kind of religious fanatic and you're going to be judged by people and they're not going to like you, right? Because you're just too, you're that religious dude. Or we may also have a fear of believing that if I jump into this Christianity thing headlong that I'm not going to really be able to enjoy the life that I want to live here in this world. And so I don't want to let go of that. It's a lot of possibilities, but whatever it is for you, fear holds us back from what true faith demands of us. And so we become people, unfortunately, who live out passionless lives because fear can stop us from having the kind of fulfilling life, the kind of abundant life that Jesus promises that I think that God created us to have. But Jesus makes it very clear. Following him is having the kind of faith that overcomes the fear that holds us back and frees us up to live fully in God. It's risky. It's scary. But taking those risks and overcoming that fear is what causes our faith to grow strong. We catch a glimpse of this kind of faith with a story that we're going to look at today in the Gospel of Matthew. And it, it begins... One day as the sun is setting and Jesus is recovering from a very long day, it was an emotionally draining day for him, and so he sends his disciples out on the boat to go to the other side of the lake. Now we're not talking about like a little lake or a pond, we're talking about like a Lake Michigan kind of a lake. And so while they go out in the boat and start off on their uh, expedition across the lake, Jesus goes up into the mountain, and he begins to pray. But as he does, a pretty good-sized storm starts to blow in. And the disciples find themselves out in the boat, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, in a 
pretty scary storm. And we read in the Gospel of Matthew that now sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. and the boat is now a considerable distance from shore. And it appears as though the disciples are now stranded out on the lake and they can't get back because the wind is so strong. And so they're stuck when all of a sudden they see something super strange. And in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 to 26, it says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So they see something they can't even wrap their minds around, right? They, they see something they can't even believe. In the middle of the storm, there was Jesus walking out to them, walking on the water, like it was a normal thing. And at first they go, it's a ghost. They couldn't, again, imagine that it could have possibly have been Jesus, but then they hear his voice say to them, take courage, it's me, no need to be afraid. So, how do we overcome the fears that stand in the way of us having an authentic faith? Like, really? What is it that will eventually cause us to what we call here at Westridge a Sunday morning faith, where we go to church every Sunday, but that's pretty much the extent of our faith, to a life where we're living out fully every day in Jesus? Or to put it in biblical terms, where we move from a belief to faith. And I want to make that distinction this morning because I think that a whole lot of us have a belief. We believe in the existence of God. In fact, there was a survey done not too long ago, and I think it was something like 95, 98% of Americans believe in the existence of God. But if that's the majority, and if Jesus is saying, as the passage is the basis of this series, says, small is the gate, and narrow the path, and only a few find it, then I think that it can't be about what the majority are believing. It's got to be about the minority, and so I have to believe that belief is not enough. If belief is a head thing, faith is a heart thing. It's what drives the passion and purpose in our lives which is the situation that Peter finds himself in right now. He's got to move really quick from a belief in Jesus into a faith in Jesus because Peter comes out and just blurts out, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come out to you on the water. And I love this because Jesus calls his bluff. He says, all right, come on then. Get out of the boat and walk on water. So Peter gets out of the boat. And he starts actually walking on water. Crazy. So he's, Peter's like having this moment right now, right? I mean, he is like having this heavenly moment. I mean, can you imagine how shocked the other disciples who were also in the boat are when Peter actually gets down out of the boat and thinks he's going to walk on water, but actually he really does. Like he really is walking on water toward Jesus. It's really unbelievable. Quite frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus was even a little shocked that Peter's pulling this thing off right now. I mean, come on. For a moment in time, Peter's faith is so strong 
that it's literally carrying him across the water. Now, you can say a lot of things about Peter, and we do. But you have to admit this. This guy is driven by his faith. Peter followed Jesus with such a passion that he was able to overcome his fears and take risks that he never, ever imagined possible. In the church, a lot of times, we confuse belief as being the same thing as faith. It's like we settle for belief as being just the bar. But it's a whole lot deeper than that and a whole lot different than that. And it seems to me, and if I'm going to oversimplify things, I'm going to say that there's three kinds of faith. I'm going to say the first faith that I would describe as an intellectual faith, and that's what I've been trying to talk about with this belief thing. This is where we believe that there's a God, but we believe that our belief in God is enough. And the reason why we do that is because it's not really in vogue to talk about your belief in God, to talk about your spirituality and your faith. And so while nobody's talking about it, most people believe that other people don't believe it. And so we think we're very unique in the fact that we believe in the existence of God. Like we think that's a big, bold thing. When the truth is, in the quiet moments of their life, when people admit the truth, 95%, 98%, whatever it is, believe that there's a God. The problem is that Jesus says, look, or actually it's in the book of James, it says, look, even the demons in hell believe in the existence of God. And they fear him. So if that's true, then what's the distinction, if you're describing your faith as a, having a belief in God, what's the difference between your faith and Satan's faith, for that matter? What distinguishes that? You may believe that there's a God, You may believe that you need God in your life. You may come to church every Sunday morning because of that belief that you have that there is a God, but it's not enough. It's one thing for Peter to say, yes, Jesus, I have a faith in you, and continue to white-knuckle it on the boat, right? It's a whole other thing to get on up out of the boat and get out there on the water. That's a whole other level of faith. And so this intellectual faith is exactly the kind of faith that a lot of us cling to and believe that we're okay with because we agree that factually God exists. But we're not relying on God in any capacity in our lives. There is no life change that has occurred as a result of that. Think about it. If you're a follower of Jesus, what changes have you made as a result of you making a commitment to follow Jesus? How has it changed you? What difference has it made? What does it cause you to do differently? I think that's the question. An intellectual faith just leaves us empty because it's just an intellectual thing. It's a head thing. But faith is way bigger than that. The second kind of faith I would describe is what I would call an on-demand faith. This is the kind of a fire insurance approach to the Christian faith, right? Where we put our faith in Jesus only when we have to. It's a type of faith, but it's more of a faith in a pinch, so to speak. And this is where a lot of us are at. We keep our faith up on the shelf of our lives, and we keep it quietly hidden there up on the shelf, and we pull it out only when we need it. 
And so when we're going through a tough time, man, we whip that faith out and we start praying like crazy. We start making deals with God. We lean on God in those hard times. But then when things calm down and everything gets good again, we take that faith, we put it back up on the shelf. We thank God very much for his help getting me through the tough time. But I'll take it from here now, God. But the Bible talks about a different kind of faith. The Bible talks about this authentic faith that drives everything we do. It's called a saving faith. This is where we enter through the small gate to step onto the narrow path that leads to Jesus. This is an all-encompassing, life-changing, I-surrender-all kind of faith. It's a scary faith. Because it's out of control. Out of your control. Because it puts your life into God's control. It's a faith that drives our life's purpose and passion. Ask yourself, what is it that drives me every day? What is it that gets me out of bed? It drives the entire direction of our lives. It, it, it's, our life is completely determined by our faith, not just some of the time, but all the time. Amen. There's a difference between just sticking your toe in the water and diving into the water head first. Right? This is a head first kind of a faith that we're talking about. Taking the next step of moving deeper in your relationship with Jesus will always require you to get out of the boat. Super scary. To risk something and to move out of your comfort zone into a place where you are uncomfortable. And it's way more uncomfortable than just the intellectual knowledge that God exists. It's causing you to live differently. What is it for you? Like if you could just sit there and think about it for your own life, in your heart, Is there something that you know that you can do that God wants you to do or to make that change or to take that step that you know is a risk? But if you take it and you pull that thing off, like it's going to change your life forever because your faith will explode and begin to grow and take your life in a whole nother trajectory. We get the impression that Peter had this kind of saving faith that we've been talking about because logic would tell you that if you're in a boat in the middle of a big storm, you ride it out of the boat, right? It's pretty simple. But what Peter instinctively knew, that it is safer to be with Jesus out in the storm than to be without him in the perceived safety of the boat. However, unfortunately, it doesn't last long. But it says, when he looked up, when Peter looked up, and he saw the wind, he realized he was walking on the water, and he was afraid, and so he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Now let's just be honest for a minute. Aren't you just a little glad that he blows it right here? Seriously? Like, can you imagine the pressure that would have on us, like, that, like, I would have to get out there on the water and prove that I love Jesus and walk on the water in the middle of some storm. I don't want to have to do that. Can you imagine the disciples sitting there going, oh, thank God he fell. 
I, I imagine there were a few minutes there where Peter was feeling real good about himself. You know, I mean, I can see it, you know. I'm freaking walking on the water. Like, how cool is this? Is anybody getting this on video? Got this on TikTok. And then, just for a minute, he stops. Just long enough to kind of look around. And that little voice creeps into his head and says, Hey, foo, you can't walk on water? What are you thinking? He becomes distracted. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to sink. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're just going along great. Like, things are good. Faith is strong. You're like in the God zone. Everything's going your way. Life is good. But then just for a split second, you take your eyes off Jesus. You take your eyes off the things that have real meaning in this life. And by the time you realize what's happening, you're sinking. And no matter how hard you try, you can't recover out of it because you're in this downward spiral. I hate that. And I have to tell you, in my life, that happens way more than I'd care to admit. But this is where Jesus comes in. Because it says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. And he said, oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? Now, we don't know for sure, but my interpretation of that is I don't think that Jesus said that to rebuke Peter for not making it all the way to him. I mean, you got to admit, his faith was stronger than my faith. I mean, I don't know about you, but I ain't getting out of the boat. I'm back in the boat with the rest of the disciples. So my interpretation is this is Jesus being disappointed in Peter not achieving his full potential. And he's like, dude, you were so close. You almost did it. If you just would have kept your eyes on me, you could have made it all the way. Peter's love for Jesus might have been imperfect at times (coughs) and weak at times. But the thing about his faith was that it was real. Like it was gritty and messy, but it was real. And I think that's all that Jesus asks of us. That we come to him with a faith that is authentic and messed up. I mean, look, I am the biggest skeptic. I admit it all the time. I struggle with my faith all the time. But to come to him authentically with all of our doubts, all of our stuff, And just lay it out. I think there comes a point in our lives where we all realize that it is safer to be out there with Jesus in the storms of life where we're living counterculturally, we're flying against um, what everybody else expects of us, and then it is to live without Jesus in the safety of the normacy of this world, living life as usual. Because I think when you do that, that's when he's talking about the highway that leads to destruction when you're going down the path of life as usual. Uh, Shelby and I are, are just uh, coming off of what has been an, a very emotional 
week for us uh, because it was just about a year ago this last week when uh, we were moved by the images of what we saw on the news of the Ukrainian refugees uh, that were fleeing their country uh, because of the war and flooding into Poland. And um, we knew we had to do something. We didn't know what to do, but we made a decision to actually fly to Poland and figure it out. And we knew it would be a risk, um, but we didn't know what we were really going to do. (laughs) We didn't really know if we'd be able to accomplish anything at all. But the one thing that I know by my history of following Jesus is that if you never put yourself out there and take a risk and walk fully by faith, then you'll never experience what the power of God can really do through you in your life. And so we made the decision to get out of the boat. God led us to a woman named Gosha, and it's too long of a story to get into all of it um, you know, in this message, but just suffice it to say that I believe that God led us to her for such a time as this. And we made a decision to partner together with the goal of being able to place 100 refugees into quality housing and give them the help and the resources that they needed in their darkest hour. We knew we couldn't help a million people, and that's usually the obstacle that causes us to do nothing is because we can't do everything. We knew we couldn't help a million people, but we had a hope we could help 100. That was the goal. Last night, uh, Shelby and I just flew back from Poland late last night. I'm jet-lagged as heck, so if I've been incoherent in my message, give me grace. But, um, but we spent the last week in Poland, and I can tell you this. God has done immeasurably more than anything we could have imagined because just a year later, we have set up housing and assistance for more than 200 refugees, which has been incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> And we've had the honor and privilege over the last week to go visit the refugees who are now, many of them, in their own homes, who have jobs and they have quality places to live. Their kids are in school. And instead of you know, being in this kind of dark place in a refugee center, they're thriving. And because of your generosity, um, we've been able to give a whole lot of people light and hope in the darkest hour of their life. So thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Um, but I will say this, uh, I realized, you know, we, we had committed to this for a year, but I realized that it's not over yet. Uh, their trauma is still fresh for them. I mean, just think about it. I mean, we were sitting in front of people who were living normal lives, just like you and me. There was a lady who owned her own landscape store, and another one that was an accountant, and another one that was in HR. I mean, it's crazy. They, just, they were living normal lives, and now they're in a different country. They've been completely displaced, ripped out of their home. They don't speak the language, and because of that, they have to take pretty crappy jobs. I mean, there was one lady who's working in a fish factory um, because she's just trying to make ends meet, and there's no other thing that she can do because she doesn't speak the Polish language. So we're helping them get uh, Polish lessons so that they can learn to speak the language and get you know better jobs. But many of them don't even have homes to go back to. This particular family... Um, they, you can see they were just finished crying. Uh, but they, they showed us pictures of their condo that they, were, that they had bought, they'd saved up for, they were living in. It was a beautiful building, and it got bombed, and 
the picture is now the building is not there. It's just a pile of, of rubble. And so there's, there's nothing for them to go back to. And so we sat down with uh, Gosha, who's been leading this effort for us. And she's an awesome woman. I wish she could be here. She's in, incredible. Um, but we made a decision to commit to another year of help because this senseless war doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. And so we're going to continue to move forward with those efforts. Um, little did we know that because of our willingness to get out of the boat and to take a risk, in a very short time, we were able to have an incredible impact that we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, it's ridiculous. And this is a, a, a very clear example of what happens when you're willing to take that risk and be driven by your faith to do things that are way out of your comfort zone that you have no idea about, but you're taking those steps of faith anyway because you're being driven by your faith. Faith is not about playing it safe. It's about being all in. And it's about loving Jesus with everything that is inside of us and trusting him with our entire lives. Our faith may waver from time to time, and my faith does, I'm telling you, all the time. All my doubts, all my failures, all the time. But it's faith that lifts us up. And it helps us to rise above and it gives definition to our lives. It shapes the decisions that we make and the words that we speak and the directions that we take. It causes us to take risks and to live differently. To be willing to be bold enough to live counterculturally. And so I'd really like us this morning to just kind of stop and ask yourself, what is it for you? What is it for me? What are the steps that I can take that will disrupt me from doing life as usual and to take some risks that I know will help to build my faith. And it's different for everybody, but what is it for you? Make that decision. Let's get out of the boat and take this faith thing on for real. When we do, I can make you one promise. You won't be perfect at it because there will come times when we will fail because just for a minute, we will take our eyes off of Jesus. We'll take our eyes off the stuff of this, of this, in this life that have actual meaning. And we will fall. But at least you got out of the boat. And just know that when you fall, and you will fall, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's Jesus in the middle of the storm of your life. And he is there to take your hand and say, don't worry, I got you. Great job getting out of the boat.